So today's scripture reading should come with a spoiler alert because it's the end of the story. Don't you hate it when someone tells you the end of the movie or a book before you read it or see it? I do. I do. it. My husband and I are hooked on Dancing with the Stars, and every now and then I'll come in like to the Martha Circle and somebody say, oh, did you hear what? I'm like, no, 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 tell me I haven't seen it. I don't, I don't want to know. I hate knowing endings ahead of time. But I've heard there are people who like to read the end of the book first to, I don't know, I guess to see if they like, want to read it. Does anybody like to do that here? It's okay if you do. Okay, some of you do. Well, huh, what do I know? Okay, it's, it, it just seems counterproductive to me, but maybe there's something in it, you know, maybe there's something to be said for that. Maybe those, and maybe those who put together the scripture readings in the lectionary decided that hearing the end of the story would pique our curiosity and get us to read the beginning of the story. So, and you know, this snippet of scripture does leave us with a lot of questions. I mean, most of us know that Peter was one of the disciples, one of Jesus' closest followers, but who are the people that were listening to him speak? Why were some of them so astounded? And why would anyone stop someone from being baptized? Obviously, we need to back up. All the way back to the beginning of chapter 10, where we are introduced to a man named Cornelius. Cornelius was a centurion in the Roman army, and his cohort was garrisoned in the city of Caesarea, the capital of the Roman government in the area known as Palestine. In other words, Cornelius was a member of the armed forces that occupied Israel at that time. Somewhere along the way, however, Cornelius had gained a healthy respect for the faith of the people of Israel, and he had become what was called a God-fearer, a Gentile or non-Jew who worshiped the Jewish God. Now, Cornelius wasn't a convert. He hadn't been circumcised. He didn't obey Jewish dietary laws, and he didn't make sacrifices in the temple, but he and his household worshiped God nonetheless. You might say that he was spiritual but not religious. We are told, in fact, that Cornelius did a lot to help the poor Jews in his city and that he was constantly in prayer. In fact, as our story opens, Cornelius is praying. And as he prays, he receives a vision. An angel tells him that his prayers and his good deeds have been well received and instructs him to send for a man named Simon Peter. Cornelius immediately acts on this. He doesn't ask questions. He doesn't ponder it for a while. He doesn't decide that maybe he's been working too hard and needs a good long vacation in Sicily. No, he trusts the angel's words and follows its instructions to the letter. Meanwhile, in the city of Joppa, Peter is also praying. And while he prays, he too sees a vision, but not of an angel. Instead, he sees something like a sheet filled with a variety of animals, reptiles, and wild birds being lowered from heaven. A voice tells him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Though he's hungry, very hungry, Peter refuses for Jewish law forbids him from eating certain animals that are considered profane or unclean, and that's what's in that sheet. And then a voice says a very strange thing. What God has made clean, you should not call profane. And this vision happens again twice more, and when it's all over, Peter's really puzzled. He doesn't know what's going on. While he's mulling this over, the messengers from Cornelius arrive. 
At this point, it should be clear that God is up to something. Two men have had their devotions interrupted by a divine agent, and now the Holy Spirit itself interrupts Peter's reveries and instructs him to not only greet the Gentiles, but to go with them, even though Jews were not supposed to associate with Gentiles in any shape, way, or form. Peter does so, and a couple of days later, as he stands in Cornelius' house looking at Cornelius and the family and friends that he has gathered, suddenly things start begin to click. You know I shouldn't be here, he tells Cornelius. We Jews aren't supposed to visit or associate with Gentiles. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean, so I came. And then he asked Cornelius why he had invited him to come. Cornelius responds by telling Peter of his vision and then says, so all of us here are here in the presence of God to listen to all that the Lord has commanded you to say. Are you like Cornelius? Are you eagerly waiting to hear what God has to say this morning? You know, most of us, pretty much everybody here, go to the same church every Sunday, greet the same friends, sit in the same pew, except when a visitor not knowing any better sits in our place, <laughs> sing the same hymns, except when the pastor throws in new ones. Not so much laughter on that one, hmm. <laughs> Listen to the scripture and the sermon with the same ears and mind and heart and go home feeling just about the same as when we came in. Why? Maybe it's because we know the ending of the story. We know all about Jesus, about his humble beginnings and his ministry, about his crucifixion and his resurrection. We know that Jesus Christ is alive, that he came to save the world and that he will return in victory. We know that his disciples began a church that spread all over the world. We know the end of the story. Alleluia, thank you God, let's go home. Don't, because here's the thing. Because we know the end of the story so well, We've forgotten what it is like to hear it for the very first time. Can you imagine what it was like for Cornelius and his family and friends to hear Peter tell the good news of the peace that comes through Jesus, whom Peter declared to be Lord of all? Lord of all, that would have been a startling statement for a Roman centurion to hear. And think how Cornelius felt when Peter told him how Jesus had received the Holy Spirit and powered his baptism and had traveled all over Israel, teaching the poor and healing the sick, exercising the possessed, feeding the hungry, and helping people to know God loved them. And how, in spite of all these things, he was crucified on a cross. And think what a wonder it was for Cornelius to hear that God raised Jesus from the dead three days later, and to hear this all from a man who had worked with Jesus, who had watched him die, and who had spoken to and eaten with him after his resurrection. What an amazing experience that must have been. But the most astounding thing was yet to come. There's Peter 
in the midst of his speech. He is wound up. He is going to town when suddenly the Holy Spirit interrupts him, whirling, flaming, breathing power and new life into Cornelius and his household. Before Jesus, Peter had finished, before he had offered an altar call, before Cornelius took a new member class, the Spirit acted. It wasn't going to wait for Peter to finally figure out that these Gentiles, those whom he believed to be unclean, unworthy of God's grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love, were actually to be included in the family. When the Spirit came, causing Cornelius and others to speak in tongues and praise God, Peter and the Jewish Christians who had accompanied him were astounded. No wonder Peter blurted out, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, just as we have? His words hearken back to the day of Pentecost when the Spirit came on God's disciples in wind and fire, causing them to tell God's deeds in different languages. Now it had come again much in the same way, crossing boundaries and breaking barriers and binding Jew and Gentile into a new people. Then they, that is Cornelius and his household, invited Peter to stay with them several days. Ah, not just a new people, but a new family who put aside their differences and sat down and ate together. The Spirit's coming and Peter's response signaled the beginning of the first seismic shift in the church, and it will be messy. Peter will have to go back to Jerusalem and explain why he'd broken Jewish law to eat with the Gentiles, and again, there will be astonishment and wonder and, yes, some consternation, too. As Reverend Pendleton Perry notes in a sermon on this passage, with the inclusion of the Gentiles, the role for the established responsible types like Peter, maybe like us, shifts. Instead of serving as the stewards of the tradition, as the explainers of the truth, as the gatekeepers for the movement, now their responsibility is to recognize where the Holy Spirit is moving and to try to keep up. Let me say that again. Now their responsibility is to recognize where the Holy Spirit is moving and to try to keep up. What Peter and the rest of the church were learning is that the future of the church is not, was not in their hands. It's not in ours either. It's so easy to think that the future of the church depends on us to live in survival mode, to act out of fear instead of faith. When that happens, we need to remember the Holy Spirit whose power is wild and unpredictable, who goes where it will and touches whom it will. We need to remember that the Spirit used ordinary men and women to spread the gospel around the world to make that circle bigger, even men like Peter, who didn't get it even when he was with Jesus and still needed to see a vision three times and be prompted by the Spirit before he would share the gospel with a Roman centurion. That same Spirit still moves. Still use men and women like you and like I 
to carry out the mission of Christ. All that we are to do, all that we have to do, is to try to keep up. Now, that doesn't mean that we just sit back and do nothing and wait. It does mean, though, that we give up longing for the past and worrying about the future and start living in the present. It means that we strive to see people for who they are, not the stereotypes we impose on them. It means we open our minds and our hearts to the sometimes surprising ways in which the Spirit calls us to share the story of Jesus Christ. Have you seen the Spirit at work? I have. I saw it moving in 1992 when the people of First United Methodist Church in Redondo Beach were moved to offer a hot meal every week for the hungry. 26 years later, shared bread is growing strong and our church is a part of that effort. I watched the Spirit move at Grace United Methodist Church in Long Beach as the people shifted from handing out a one-time-only voucher for a fast food meal to handing out toiletry bags to whoever asked for them and then establishing an office to help people who were homeless find the help that they needed. And I've seen the Spirit acting here. Well, I know it acted here in El Segundo. I actually didn't see it when CASE was established to assist city residents. And it certainly moved when, in, when four churches were inspired, including our own, to help homeless people and their family, their children through family promise. I also see the spirit moving when someone who has never been into our church chooses to walk in our doors. And when that person is welcomed with over open arms, and I see it moving whenever we decide to overcome our fear and bless another person with kindness and compassion. And it is moving when we decide to step out of our comfort zone and help a stranger. Sometimes the simplest gesture can change a life. You never know. Certainly Peter didn't. But we can be sure of one thing. The astounding spirit is still ahead of us, still breaking down barriers and opening hearts, still crossing boundaries and drawing circle wide and dragging us with it, still calling us to tell the story and to welcome others to the table in the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, by the way, go ahead and start with the ending of the story because it's really just the beginning. Thanks be to God. Amen.